Soloquacious, an out in Perth podcast. Welcome to Soloquacious, where we discuss everything from politics to pop music, activism to art, and all from an LGBTIQ point of view. My name's Graham Watson, and each week I'm joined by my colleague Lee Hill. Hello. And a special guest. In this episode, we are asking questions. Does the increasing level of gender ambiguity in the fashion industry help the wider trans community? We'll also be asking, is it ever okay to out somebody? And we're going to be talking about some of the music that we love. But before we dash into this episode, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, City Signs, uh, the experts in large-scale design with high-quality, large-format digital prints and vinyl signs, plus the ability to create stunning moving displays with full vehicle wraps. You can find out more about them at city-signs.com.au. Welcome to episode two of Solo Quacious. We've got lots of interesting things to discuss, but first let me introduce our guest. Bailey Lyons is the drummer of popular band Lionizer, and last year she appeared on the cover of Out in Perth magazine's August issue. The article she contributed to that issue, Six Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Had Sexual Reassignment Surgery, went on to become the most read article on the Out in Perth website in 2015. Well done, Bailey. Go, Bailey. Thank you, and hi, and stuff. Also, like, popular band, Lionizer. I'm put that on, like, my resume from now. Now official. band. Popular <laughs> band. How long has Lionizer been going as a band? I think since about 2012, somewhere around there. I'm pretty sure it was 2012 when we first contacted Out in Perth, and we're like, hey, we're a local band. Can we, like, be in the magazine? And then we ended up, like, shooting in front of this weird fern. That's it. <laughs> we, we had a picture of you we used for ages of you in front of a tree. Yeah, um, we walked around in Mount Lolly for a while trying to find like some cool artwork or like a cool piece of graffiti or something to sit in front of and we ended up just like taking a rest in front of this like little garden bench thing and Graham That's just was like, oh yeah, this is a photo. Yeah. <laughs> the cultural hub photo of the city up. and you found a fern. It really spoke to our musical um, <laughs> like stylings, I think, like, you know, yeah, two people, a bush... <laughs> That's, that's largely how we approach. When you think punk rock, you think gardening. Yeah. I would love to see like a you know better homes Australia, but like for punk artists. Punk, punk gardening, punk interior design. Yeah, like just a whole lot of DIY sort of stuff. I think it would fit really well. That's it. You know, that's the new TV show that's going to be on next year. Hey, we were um in looking at intriguing uh, phenomenon, I guess we've been seeing. There seems to be a growing um, popularity of the fashion industry using androgynous, transgender or genderqueer models in the fashion and styling industry. Uh, here's some examples. Andrea Pejic? I guess that J would be silent too. Probably mm, should have done Pejic? some research. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's one of the most popular <laughs> models in the world. <laughs> better than us. The androgynous <laughs> model announced her gender transition in 2014. But more recently, in the last few weeks, uh, film director Lana Wachowski, alongside queer comedian Sandra Bernhard, was named as the face of Marc Jacobs. While Jaden Smith, wearing a dress, uh, and Ruby Rose are the new faces, respectively, of Louis Vuitton and Ralph Lauren. So the question I was wondering is, do you think this exposure helps you know, general society have a greater understanding of gender diversity? I think it's like, because when I was sort of looking at the brief for this and you're like, oh, is this good for the transgender community? And it's one of those sort of questions where you're like, well, what is, what do you mean by good? Like, how is it improving? I think like, mm. especially when we're talking about Andre Jepejic, Pejic, Pejic, sorry. Andre. We'll go with that. Andre Jepejic. Um, especially if you look at her early work, like before she came out about being trans and all this. You know, a lot of the uh, like the ads that she 
uh, she was appearing in was sort of these trap ads where they would set up, like, I remember there was, like, a Honda or a Toyota ad, this really popular one, where, like, you know, she's walking out in heels and this, like, leather jacket, and then she takes the jacket off, and, you know, she's got flat chest and all this sort of stuff, and it's like, ah, oh, it was actually a guy all along, and it's like, you're expecting X and you got Y, and it's like... Mm. And that's kind of like, whoa, that's not cool. That but reinforces that stereotype that, you know, trans people are hiding something or trying to trick people. Yeah. But that's not good. But I think, like, the, the flip side of it is we're sort of seeing... Um, with like having more genderqueer models or having trans people modeling stuff or even just embracing androgyny in the fashion world is a positive in terms of sort of saying in terms of breaking down those sort of gender barriers I guess when we start to look at sort of the more social constructs of gender and dealing with things like yeah gender clothing especially and Mm. being like well no it's okay to wear you know a dress if you're identify as a guy or it's okay to wear pants if you identify as a girl which has been okay for like however long now like those sorts of things are obviously really good and then when you have people like Lana Wachowski appearing in ads and stuff what you're sort of sort of seeing is that whole like trans is beautiful movement is actually coming through and they're saying yeah you know transgender bodies and stuff can be fashionable or they can be marketable I guess in that Mm. sort of sense which I think is ultimately good but whether or not that sort of carries through to broader acceptance remains to be seen. I think often transgender issues are pretty polarizing. And a good example of that is looking at something like the new Zoolander movie, like Zoolander 2, um, which in their trailers and stuff, they yeah. sort of show this little scene with, I can't remember, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. who's portraying an androgynous model. And they sort of run that old joke of like, oh, what do you have in your pants? Like, no, but are you a guy or a girl and stuff? And it's like, mm. you sort of end up in that sort of territory where it becomes more about the mystique of no one knowing like what gender you are and it's sort of being that whole like yeah I'm going to be like shocking and in your face because you don't know what gender I am and it's kind of like fetishizing and otherizing yeah I think the otherizing is like is part of that and that's from my standpoint at least that's kind of like ugh whereas I think when you have people like Jaden Smith or um, Lana Wachowski doing stuff. It's where they're very open about their gender identities, and now with like Andrea Japajic, like being open about her gender identity, it's like it's a much better representation because it's people saying, "This is who I am. This is what I look like, and that's okay, and that's beautiful, and that's good." I think one of the things that worries me about when it's in the fashion industry is that there's a tendency we forget that these people actually have other skills. Lana is an amazing director with many feature films. And Jaden Smith has an amazing Twitter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't comment on his acting because I I've got to say I've I, I loved him in the Karate. Kid. I haven't seen that. It's great. Don't don't okay. want to you know. <laughs> Ghostbusters with girls, it's just not going to work because I, I love the original. Yeah, I love Where the original. Where is that coming from? Well, yeah, how you does know? that relate? No, and I love the original <laughs> oh, Karate Kid. not it's... ready to hear that. Girls in Ghostbuster outfits I don't have a problem okay. with girls being in Ghostbusters. <laughs> wow. I just, I don't want a remake of the films of my youth. I just, okay. I just want to leave them like they are. All right. And the Karate Kid is the same. Yeah, good save. I don't need to move it to China and have Jackie Chan in it. I'm happy with Mr. Miyagi. I think it was actually a better film. Can't yeah. say, I haven't seen it. This also brings us on to, though, is as you kind of touched on Bailey's, like with representation, do we see, why don't we see more trans actors being cast in films and put into those roles? Well, like, what roles are we talking about here? I mean, like, would you cast, like, Andre Jepezic as Benedict Cumberbatch's character in Zoolander 2? Like, mm-hmm. I think. Well, I guess the one that's been in the news lately is the Danish Girl. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which is a big film coming girl. up. Let's. Um, <laughs> which 
is Eddie Redmayne has got a lot of acclaim for his role, but people are saying that this is a trans role. Why wasn't it given to a trans performer? See, like in in this very specific example of the Danish girl, I can I totally come down on, on that side of the argument and say like that should have gone to a transgender actress. Like to be very specific mm. about it, I guess, only because that is representing like the real life story of a person who was quite significant mm. within the trans community and for like broader trans um, surgeries going down the line. Like, in her story is a rather tragic one and one yeah. that sort of needs to be told in terms of maintaining trans history. And it's kind of feels really off to have a cis dude playing it, mm. but that's me sort of like assuming Eddie... Sorry, I can't remember what Eddie Redmayne. Redmayne. Redmayne's, like, gender identity from the get-go there. Like, I mean, I have no idea, like, how he actually... Well, yeah. yes, there's been a few interviews he's done where he's talked about how it's kind of opened his appreciation and he's shared his experiences a little bit. I guess it's a bit of a chicken-and-egg problem from a film industry point of view, because if you're trying to make a... Well, no, like, I, I, I don't think this is a... Like, with this particular mm-hmm. example, I don't think it's chicken-and-egg. This would be like making a Martin Luther King film and having a white guy play Martin Luther King. Yeah. You'd be like, that's a big but, historical figure and you're misrepresenting them from the get-go and that's no that, it's not that, that it comes an issue in the film industry it comes down to money because this is a multi-million dollar film and if you want to get a studio to give you millions of dollars to make a film part of that combination of unlocking that dollars is having a cast that is going to bring in an audience and eddie redmayne brings in a certain level of funding for a film is there a trans performer who has <coughs> enough profile to bring in that level of funding for a producer. But by that logic, by that logic, could and you? That's not... why I mean it's a chicken and egg thing because until they put someone to get the profile. No, by that logic, could they not have cast a trans person as Lily Elby and then put a high-profile female as his partner instead of Alicia Vikander, who is quite high-profile now? I would say she's very high-profile. Yeah, and the movie, having seen it, <laughs> does actually sort of focus significantly around her character as well and mm-hmm. her character motiva- motivations and what she goes through having her partner transition more or less i think like when you're talking about oh you know eddie redmond is going to bring in like the studios is going to make studios more keen to be involved with the project mm. i think it's actually kind of the other way around the studio green lights the script and then they attach actors to it and you do kind of have this I guess you have this like community around cinema where it's like, well, no, who are the big actors that we want? And mm. there are no trans people within that list, really. And that's the issue there. Mm. But I think like you know, if Eddie Redman is bringing in dollars from the studio, he's also costing a whole lot of money to that company. Yeah. So you kind of aren't really winning anything there. I think like... Yeah, that's a good point. His salary must be crazy. Oh yeah, it I think wouldn't it's be, a and it's not like he's you know, yeah. donating that like mm. ahead or like just foregoing it so he can like better represent trans people. It's a little bit like if you're on a, yeah. a film comparison, not not in gender, but just in film casting. The movie The Beach is a really great example because uh, originally the character in The Beach is English and he's quite um, a loser, and was originally going to be played by Ewan McGregor, mm. and then. Leonardo DiCaprio said I'd like to do this and the studio said well if you put Leonardo we'll give you an extra like 50 million dollars on top of the budget mm, and it sure. changes the project because they think he'll sure. bring people bring in even more. Leonardo that makes sense but in, yeah. in that scenario you're comparing two white guys with different accents to a cisgender and white man is, and like I, in that situation you have a fictional world yeah. where you've just built a character and you've said this character is just like these collections of traits and he's going to go through these collections of experiences mm. and anyone could feel that like you could just have whoever's the best actor who auditions could feel that and realistically you could have a, a, 
a girl or you could have a trans mm. woman or you could have a, a trans man come through or you mm. could have a non-binary person and it wouldn't matter as long as they have the right look and as long as they can read the lines the best then that's fine mm. but when you're dealing with real people who really existed and that's like a like a very real narrative and a very real part of trans history I think you kind of have to look at your, look at what you're doing and ask yourself am I telling this story right it's a great opportunity for the studio as well. I mean, hmm. uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars, they were all nobodies when that came out, and it became a phenomenon that persists today. And the fre- the, the newest Star Wars, I can't remember um, the lead actress's name. The character's uh, interesting. Da- Daisy both. Ridley. Yeah is, yeah, is a very unknown actor. and Yeah, John Boyega, nobody knows who he is either. Unless you've seen Attack the Block, which is an amazing film. Or Law and Order UK, he was in the other day. <laughs> don't watch a lot of Laura and Order. <laughs> Maybe at least the Spanish version. I'd watch that. A lot of yep. Spanish on my Netflix. <laughs> Having seen the film, is it any good? Oh, a deep breath. Oh dear. I was underwhelmed. I was oh. underwhelmed because it tells um, what I felt like it was is a really one-dimensional representation of trans people, which is always going to make me tune out a little bit and not give something it's in just desserts. But also, I just kind of felt the pacing to be a little bit off and a bit slow for my tastes. Pretty much the only connection I had to that film was through like knowing my trans history and wanting to see a trans story told. And outside of that, I'm just like, well, you know, I'm not that relating to this story mm-hmm. as it goes ahead. Just out of interest, are there any films that tell a trans story that you can really relate to or you think is a, an accurate or compelling depiction of... Can I say The Matrix? <laughs> sure, why not? Sure. Like, I think The Matrix is one that a lot of trans people would probably relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really tell like a story about a trans person necessarily, yeah. but I think like, there's a lot of like ideas that come out of the Matrix totally. that like a lot of trans yeah. people relate As to. As like, a gay dude, like, I've always related to X Men, like reading comics, so yeah. I get it. Well, I think like in the Matrix, they have this whole idea. It's like, oh, you know, what do they call your Matrix self? It's like the digital representation of your virtual self, and it's kind of like the idea that that could be different from mm. who you are in the real world, sort of thing, or like that your body might be different, but your idea of yourself is another person and. Be, I think there are so few good representations of queer people on screen. Yeah. You know, there are heaps of queer films. There are not so many which are really very good. You know, but we're all desperate to see representations ourselves. We'll keep going and seeing mm. them, even if they're not very good at all. Yeah. Um, well, like one example of that is a film that's on Netflix, which is called Boy Meets Girl, which is about a trans woman who... It's like kind of like this weird little love story slash trans 101, like educational seminar that goes for two hours. Oh. Like, it's very not good, but it's also very great in a lot of ways. And there's a scene at the end of it where she sort of comes out of this lake naked and um, she's pre-op or whatever, and she's like, you know, am I still beautiful now sort of thing. And that's like this... I found that very hard-hitting as a trans person, especially, and just being like, man, that's, that's fucking rough. Like, I get that. Yeah. You know, where you have such a disconnect with your own body and you're trying to sort of have someone love you and recognizing that you know you need to be loved for your physical self as well Mm. as for who you are on the inside and just being like or needing to be loved for your physical self as well as for who you are on the inside and Mm. that's like that story i found to be a lot more engaging even though it was very low budget and very poorly told shall we say compared to the danish storytelling always rules over technical achievement I reckon if you've got a good story yeah an engaging story it's always going to work well 
totally. Well, I think this one just like on a trans level just connected a lot better with me than the Danish Girl. That said, Danish Girl is shot amazingly, has a really good soundtrack, and has good performances. So if you're into that, check it out. Has it ruined the story? Is it not a good... Because it's the director who did Les Miserables, so if he's ruined two things now. Oh. Um, I don't think he's ruined the story. I think he's tightened the narrative to better suit cinema, make it a little bit more fluid, and so your character motivations don't get mixed up and yeah. who you're supposed to be identifying. It's, it's much more black and white and less shades of grey than the real Lily Elbe. And I also yeah. think they sort of gloss over um, a little bit of the ending and the tragedy as how that goes. I don't want to sort of spoil anything, but I guess if you have access to a Wikipedia page and (laughs) you can probably find out what happens to old mate Lily Elbe. Let's uh, talk about something else that happened this week. We can ask the question, is it ever okay to out someone? Comedian Joel Creasy was in town recently with his new stand-up show. It's a very funny show and also had moments of deep emotion as Creasy Creasy shared his experience of... Creasy. Do you know, we once misspelt his name on the front cover of the magazine, and now we've mispronounced it in the podcast. One of the things he talks about in the show is he talks about being dumped and discovering that his partner, or his former partner now, had dumped him for a Hollywood actor, an actor who isn't out. While he didn't name the actor in the show, he did drop enough hints that anyone with the power of Google could figure it out. Is it ever okay to out somebody? Oh, dear. (laughs) Look, I don't know. I don't. I don't really think that's cool. I mean, even if your heart's broken, is it ever okay? There are times where it's okay. Is it usually okay? Probably not. No. Um, But it comes down to this like whole weird sort of culture we have around that you know LGBTQI or whatever is like some sort of massive secret Mm. that you shouldn't tell anyone about. And to me, that's like so grating. Like, I mean, the first thing that happens when you Google my name <clears throat> is it says, Bailey Lyons transsexual. Like, that's just... Oh. That's... Yeah, that's great. But that's, like, that's something that I put out into the world. Like, mm-hmm. back in the start of 2014, I wrote an interview slash article about Laura Jane Grace, and that's the opening line. Oh. And it's like, you know, that's fine. I had control of outing myself, and now yeah. that's a permanent thing. But if someone else comes along and outs you against, you know, and takes that power away from you, that's that's very harmful, and that's damaging in a way and I like think you can also sort of then have a lot of people who are unprotected or who haven't readied themselves for what that's going to be like one of the advantages from personal point of view is if what no one tells you about coming out because most of our experience of coming out are celebrity coming out mm. and for the everyday person they don't sort of do that little asterisk and tell you that we actually have to come out lots and lots of times yeah um, you know you have to come out when you start a new job you have to come out when you meet new people you're going to have to come out again when you have new neighbours um, possibly you might be doing this process over and over again throughout your life. Something which I don't think they talk about enough about, you know, the, especially the celebrity coming out, is that you only got to do it once. Like George Michael doesn't have to go tell people he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen doesn't have to go tell people she's gay. The everyday person, you know, kind of misses out on that a little bit. But it's at what point do you, does that become completely public? And you know, have you? Is it gone forever? To me. I want it to get to that point where it's irrelevant. Yeah. Like, it's like kind of having to come out about being married over and over. It's like, you know, that's not a thing. It's just like, mm. yeah, I'm married. Like, yeah. now you just know. Why it's such an issue for, like, the queer community is because there's still that fear of being the target of homophobia or transphobia mm. or 
facing discrimination, whether that's in the workplace or just in public settings or, like, on social media or whatever. Mm. Realistically, I think, like, the more people who are out and the more people who are out and proud about it and more people who are talking about being out, the more okay it is. I mean, like, being gay in Hollywood shouldn't... I, I don't think that's going to be a problem for anyone. No. What if you think about, like, you know, Ellen's a great sort of benchmark, I guess, that when Ellen DeGeneres came out, it was the front cover of Time magazine. Yeah. And it was it was a big deal. Now, when celebrities come out, it's almost like a by-the-way, you know, it's, it's like a little side in an mm, interview. Slipping it in. To the extent that Casey Delacqua, the tennis player, came out, none of the gay press noticed. No, I didn't um, notice. <laughs> you know, she she actually made did an interview where she talked about her partner, and it was about two weeks before anyone picked up on it because it has moved into that. And an interesting thing is we get feedback now when we do a story about somebody coming out, mm. a celebrity coming out. So we now get feedback of people going, "Well, why is this still news? We shouldn't even cover this. Yeah. We shouldn't even talk about it." Well, you have had mm. you have had a couple of Hollywood kids. There was uh, Colton Haynes and um, the the boyfriend from Modern Family. Uh, both came out and are sort of like, well, why did I have to say it? Like, it just was, and you only just picked up on it kind yeah. of vibe. And I think that's a great attitude. And I think the reason we, as journalists still, as, as queer journalists still talk about it, is because we like those role models. We like, mm. you know, people to see people they might admire and go, well, they're gay, so maybe me being gay is not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, I think that's why we still tell those stories. I mean, coming out stories are still incredibly popular. Yeah. But we aren't definitely moving into a world where it's definitely not going to make the cover of Time magazine. Well, there was that the Disney actress the other day who... This came is an out, interesting one. Yeah, she came out as queer and a lot of people slammed her for, I don't know, attention-seeking, I suppose, because she was like, yeah. I mostly like guys, but, you know, I might not in the future. Who knows? Which is something that happened to, what, like, Miley Cyrus coming out yeah. as genderqueer yeah. or something? And it's like, a lot of people are like, oh, you're just doing it for attention, and it's like... There were some people criticised. I don't... I can't remember the name of the actress from the nope. Girl Meets World. Yep. Um, <laughs> but she's 14, and she said that she's open to what... She may be attracted to in the future, but she's only been attracted to boys now. And mm-hmm. the people saying, this is a 14-year-old, the media shouldn't be talking about a 14-year-old coming out, but 14-year-olds read newspapers. They do. You know, 14-year-olds <laughs> have used the internet. Yeah, they're definitely know. on blogs. Yeah. yeah, they probably know how to use it better than their parents do. So I think it's still, still very relevant to be sharing those stories. Here's a different take on it. Is it okay to out someone for being homophobic or transphobic? The reason I ask is, over the Christmas break, author Clementine Ford confronted a man who made a homophobic comment. While she was shopping in Myers, the author overheard the man say he hated it when faggots looked at you sideways. She confronted the man and labelled his comments as hate speech and she took his picture and uploaded it to her Facebook. Her Facebook account has around 97,000 followers. Is it okay to out someone if they're being homophobic? I guess you've got to think about the definition. I mean... Yes, this guy's being hateful. Are you putting this guy's life in danger? And it's the same when you you're outing someone as being uh, LGBT, whatever. There's a, you're putting you could be putting this person at risk. That is playing devil's it, advocate. That's I think it's right to call off. people on when they're being homophobic. Mm-hmm. Like if someone is saying something, if you're in a bar, if you're at school, if you're in workplace, someone's saying something really homophobic, they should be called on it. Mm. I think the difference is. You know, if it's someone who is of profile, who is, you know, elected to something, or that's different to a person walking down the street. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a right to privacy. And, like, people, like politicians, like elected politicians, have foregone their right to privacy. Um, most people would consider celebrities to have foregone their right to privacy by just by the nature of their jobs. They are in the pri- 
in the public eye for the majority of their time, mm-hmm. their rights to privacy are severely limited in the things that they say they should be held accountable for, mm-hmm. particularly politicians on that. Like, Absolutely. You know, it's not just what you say in chambers of parliament, you know, it's also what you say on your campaign trail and what you say, like, when you go out in the streets, like, yeah. you are still representing your public, and so you should be held accountable. Some random person in Myers spouting off, that guy deserves some modicum of privacy. He's made a statement within a certain sphere, mm. and he said, I'm okay with this statement being heard within this sphere. He didn't expect it to be amplified yeah. 97,000 times. And I don't think that's okay. And she's... And Clementine Ford has come along and be like, that's hate speech, which is her way of saying, that makes it okay for me to shame you because you are now breaking the law because, you know, hate speech is whatever. Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is freedom of speech. Sure, you can say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's not an actual law. It's not a right you actually have. It's an implied right. But also, that is backed up with the right for people to stop and go, no, hang on, wait, you're an idiot. Yeah, you know, What you're saying is stupid. What you're saying is unacceptable. I find it offensive. This you, isn't a this isn't a free speech issue. This he, is a privacy issue. But there is no if you're standing in public, if you can be seen in public, if you can be heard in public, you're in public. You're not in private. Here's my problem with it: if vitriol and uh, recourse for someone who just says something in you know waiting for the lift in Myers is public shaming, and you know potentially ruining their life through their photo being shared over social media, what's our reaction going to be to the elected representative? or the celebrity we hold in high regard, when they do something, we'll, we'll have nowhere to go to because we've already given it all to the guy on the street. Well, no, the other thing is, like, the celebrity or the elected representative or whoever, like, these people who actually have a lot of money behind them and usually a PR team, they have protections in some respect and they have people who can speak for them, people who can shield them a little bit and they can sort of navigate through those waters. You know, X guy in Myers doesn't really have any of that. He is just now a target. And a faceless target as well. And it just becomes a way for people then to direct their anger at homophobic people that's, that's a in good a concentrated point. thing. And we think this is, like, okay, or we can talk about this being okay because we're on the side of anti-homophobia. But if someone's taking photos of fat people and putting on the internet and being like, look at this fat piece of shit, and everyone, like, 93,000 people who like this fat hate page are, like, jumping on the bandwagon to name and shame this guy. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, yeah. It, it becomes, like, an issue then. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It becomes about that right to privacy. Like, if I go walking down the street, I'm a six-foot-seven woman, six-foot-seven trans woman. I'd make no effort to hide that fact. I've had... I draw a lot of attention from a lot of people, and some of that's negative. You know, there's nothing to stop some dickhead from taking my photo and putting it up on a trans hate site, or just being like, how oh, look at this, like, ugly person, or look at this stupid person, or whatever. When you are in public, if you are just a regular person Mm. of no political importance, not like a celebrity, your job is not about representing the public in a public space, then you do have a right to privacy. And that covers being kind of a terrible person or being an arsehole. If this guy had been breaking the law, that's a different story altogether. That's where you get like people who are filming like acts of violence on the train or something like that. So they have like, oh no, here's evidence of this happening. I can pass along to a case or something and mm. show that this actually happened. If she was taking a video and it was like chest down or something, and it was like, yeah, you can hear him talking. And then she was using that as, to make like a, an, an editorial about hate speech and how it's still prevalent and how we still need to be working on this. And it's still a big issue for Australian culture or something. That would be fine. But she's just naming and shaming, and that's, to me, just feels like that's attention-seeking. 
that's her just using some random person as a punching bag to gain support for her own social media profile. To Clementine Ford's credit, after about three hours of this being on her Facebook page and literally almost, I think, a thousand comments, she did take the guy's picture down So um, and said, okay, I understand where people are coming from. Yeah. Um, and took it away. Let's talk a little bit about music. Because you're in a band. I'm in a band. We love music. I love those segues, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to identify. That it was, was about just too much fun. I did it so smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to nominate one record which people should go out and have a listen to, what would you be As a nominating? trans person, it is my duty to recommend the uh, Gloss demo by the band Gloss, which is Girls Living Against Society Shit. It's not a swear word if it's part of a name. Uh, they are a hardcore band from America, uh, made up a, at least a trans vocalist. I'm not sure about the other members. I think they might also have a few trans people amongst them. Very hardcore, very brutal, very like trans feminist lyrics. It's very cool if you're into trans. If you're into hardcore music, you listen. If you're a trans person, you should already own this record. Didn't um. Didn't another band get slammed for ripping on them and lose a record deal? Yeah, some band called them out for being brackets or whatever. (laughs) Um, Which is the kind of thing that their music is all against. And so, like, obviously they put it out and they just, like, instantly retweeted it and started sharing Mm. it around. And that actually really helped their exposure. Yeah, well, they were on a level playing field. They were both, you know, equally popular bands. One with said hate speech, the other I think one was actually a lot more popular. Um, I think the the one that was hating was a lot more popular at the time. But they sort of used that tie-in to... And lost a bit of popularity. They used that tie-in to sort of then be like, well, hang on now, everyone's talking about this band who everyone knows, and they're talking about us, so you kind of get that that flow-on effect. Mm. But in terms of, like, calling out hate speech, that's the thing, because it's like, hey this person's literally said this on Twitter, I'm going to share it on Twitter, so it's on the same platform, yeah. and you kind of get that shitstorm started. My record I'm loving at the moment is the new album from Savages, uh-huh. uh, which we interviewed in this month's edition of Out in Perth, and uh, it was a very interesting conversation to have about the recording of their album, but I've been, they gave me a, a copy of the record about six weeks ago, under the strict promise that I would not share it with anybody or um, play it on the radio. Um, and that's been a very, very hard thing to do for a month and a half. I've been rocking out to that in my car for the last month. Cool. And it's uh, it's an interesting record. You can listen to the lyrics and there's things going on. Lee, what are you loving at the moment? Kitty's 2014 EP. Not Kitty with an IE. Uh, are they still making music? Angry Girl Metal. Should I qualify Girl Metal? Anyway... Uh, my friend recommended me to... Uh, there's angry girl metal. Is there happy girl metal? Of course there is. Is that a subgenre? Of course there's baby is. metal. Yeah. <laughs> Anything out of Japan. Anyway, the EP was uh, by Kitty with a Y, and my friend recommended me to her uh, last year, and I thought, white girl rapping, not really interested, let's move on. But I listened to it, and the music sounds like Dance Dance Revolution on acid. It's amazing. Yeah, super fun. That's one. Go download them and check them out. Thank you for listening to our second edition of So Loquacious. Mm, loquacious. Thanks to Bailey for coming in and joining us. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We'd love you to give it a review on iTunes or subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. And you can join in the conversation about this show on Twitter using the hashtag SoLoquacious or head to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com forward slash out in Perth where you can add your comments on the timeline. If you'd like to connect with the team from out in Perth, you'll find us at outinperth.com. Until next time, remember, be vocal, be loud, be fabulous, and be so loquacious. <laughs>